El Fanboy, episode 24. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles MFR here with you, and this is the 24th edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. How's everyone doing? It's been uh, it's been a hell of a weekend, hasn't it? We just finished up San Diego Comic-Con 2017. There is so much to talk about. I've got Kelvin Chavez joining me in just a little bit. Uh, and right now, if I sound a little different, or if this is... Uh, if, if, if there's like some sort of strange echo, I have to address my current recording conditions. You see, I was supposed to have the house to myself today. My wife and all of her girlfriends and their kids and my kids were all going to go to the beach and I was going to have the house to myself. And it was going to be glorious. I was going to record this Monday morning edition of the podcast to talk about uh, you know San Diego Comic-Con and complete the reach around that I began on Friday or I should say wrap around for uh, my more delicate listeners. And uh, I was, you know, I was going to have nothing but privacy. I could record in any room. I could take my time. But alas, it is currently raining cats and dogs here in New York. So she had to scrap her beach trip. And now all of her friends and all of their kids are in my house. So rather than recording in my usual sort of home home studio, uh, I'm currently in the in the bathroom. <laughs> we have two bathrooms, and I am in the small one that's inside of the master bedroom, uh, barricaded in here. I have things under the doorways to block out the sounds of small children running down the hallways because I'm going to have around seven kids between the ages of three and six years, you know, three and six years running around screaming and making a mess in my home that I get to clean up later. So yes, if I sound at all different, if the harmonics and acoustics in here are a little different than usual, it is because I'm in, the, I'm on the can. Uh, no, I'm not using it. Don't worry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. But uh, yes, I'm in a very different place. Speaking of things being different, uh, thank you for those of you who, uh, understood and appreciated what was a rather unique opening to last Friday's show. Uh, I really wasn't like planning that, but I was very sort of affected by Chester Bennington's passing. And I know that it was kind of a dark, sort of weird, stylistic choice the way I uh, opened up that show. It was all sort of off the cuff. And, uh, you know, I, I got some pretty good feedback on it, which is uh, surprising. I was pretty nervous. I pretty much regretted it right after I completed it. Uh, as I'm uploading it, I'm like, I'm probably going to lose a ton of listeners after this one, but fuck it, it's my show. Let me just try to expand the creative wings a little bit. Uh, if those of you who haven't heard it yet, the first 17 minutes or so of episode 23, uh, I get all sort of deep and metaphysical and philosophical and dark on you. Uh, so, you know, maybe you want to check that out. Maybe you don't, but keep the feedback coming too. Cause I'm always sort of open to changing up the format. Uh, I still have all these different plans of things I want to do. I can just never really find the time to do them. But for example, like I want to start doing a monthly show that maybe I'm going to make it part of like the Patreon offerings where I speak about a specific movie for about an hour. 
You know, I know that I've gotten requests to talk about things like the prestige and other things. Um, and I, I'm excited by that idea. I've actually been planning doing stuff like that since I started El Fanboy. But uh, I just haven't found the time. But uh, either way, I'm always sort of open to changing up the, the format a little bit and kind of giving things a little room to breathe and it'll be a little more creative. So if anyone has any feedback or suggestions, I'm more than happy to go there with you and give it a shot. Uh, and also, just a reminder, I haven't given this out in a few weeks, uh, maybe about a month since I last requested this, but if anyone wants to send in questions for things you'd like me to address here on the show, just tweet out your questions with hashtag LFanboy, and uh, if I've got a good answer for you, it will get answered on the air. But okay, let's let's talk a little bit. I have Kelvin coming on in a few minutes, and I, I have some stuff I'd like to talk about before I get Mr. Chavez on. Um, all right, so Comic-Con just happened. And, you know, there's a lot of different takeaways, a lot of different things to discuss, and we're going to get into that sort of in depth here throughout the show. But something I just kind of wanted to think about, it just sort of struck me this morning as I was preparing for the show, is what a vastly different show this was for DC than what they were probably originally planning even a year ago. You know, if you think about the slate of DC films that was that was announced nearly two years ago and what their plans were going to be up until Batman v Superman made them like rethink everything, uh, you got to imagine this show was going to be very, very different. This Hall H panel was once going to be different. How different, you ask? Well, let's think about it. Originally, this show was going to more than likely include the final bit of hype for Justice League. It was going to give us our, probably maybe our first real look at The Flash, which, which was scheduled to open this upcoming February. It was also probably going to give us a tease of Aquaman, which was going to be opening in July of next year. And maybe, just maybe, give us a little morsel of something exciting about either Justice League 2, because they were going to do one and two together, or maybe even The Batman, because there was rumors that The Batman was going to come out in the fall of 2018. So they had this huge slate of things to get us all excited for for 2018, and now, as we all know, all of that has changed, they've evolved, the slate has morphed into other things... So this panel, instead of being all of that, was just the final push for Justice League, which wasn't even really a final push. You know, final push assumes, all right, we've already done all the heavy lifting, the audience is there and excited, here's the last little bit to get you excited. But if you think about it, they're still trying to sell Justice League. They're still hoping that Justice League can capitalize on the great buzz from Wonder Woman and be everything that Warner Brothers had hoped it would be. They want Justice League to be their Avengers, their their billion-plus-dollar movie. And, you know, they're, they're still trying to make sure that the appetite and the excitement for this movie is there. So that trailer was almost, like, still part of their renewed efforts to say, please give this movie a shot. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and I'm going to give you... I'm going to have a little trailer breakdown later. But yeah, it was just, you know, it, it's something that occurred to me this morning, that this show was going to be very, very different. Uh, and it's interesting to see how the DCEU has had to sort of evolve and change, and what a very drastically different show they had this year than perhaps what they were planning around a year ago. 
let's now get into the week's news. As per usual, for tradition's sake, we're going to start things off with the box office. Now, since I'm recording this on a Monday instead of on a Tuesday, we are still dealing with just the estimates as opposed to the actuals, which are released on Tuesday mornings. Um, But unlike in recent weeks, I don't think the actuals are going to change all that much because the margin for error here... Uh, is pretty is pretty wide, uh, so I don't think we're going to see a lot of switcheroos tomorrow when the actuals come in. But all right, so based on just the estimates, Dunkirk opened at number one with fifty point five million dollars. Uh, number two, we got Girls Trip, which is twenty million dollars shy of that. It's at thirty point three million bucks. Uh, in third place, we got Spider-Man Homecoming at $22 million. At fourth place, we've got War for the Planet of the Apes at $20.4 million. And rounding out the top five is the bomb. That is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. The film, which cost nearly $200 million to make, only was able to muster $17 million in its opening weekend. So let's see, a couple things that jump out at me. That is a fairly solid opening for Dunkirk. Um, Chris Nolan movies tend to have very long legs. Uh, people, you know, people just sort of take their time. It ha- you know, he tends to appeal to a much more mature audience, so he doesn't need like the fanboys who race out that first weekend because they want to see it before the spoilers come out. You know, Nolan's movies don't tend to do that. Like Interstellar legged out like a, th- like a, like a three times multiplier. Where, you know, it, it opened at like 47 and still ended up making around 150 just domestically, uh, which is pretty damn good. And Dunkirk with 50 million, if it does another one, if, if it pulls that off, then once again, it's going to make like 150 to 200 million domestically, which doesn't even count the foreign total. So Dunkirk, which is a $150 million movie, will more than likely be profitable for Warner Brothers. And with the phenomenal reviews Dunkirk has, uh, I have nothing but faith that it's going to pull that off. I have not yet seen the film. That is something I plan on doing this week. A buddy of mine works at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, and he says they've got the 70 millimeter print, and that sounds very, very inviting for me. So I'm going to try to get there at some point this week to check out Dunkirk for myself. Uh, The big success story this week really is Girls Trip, in at number two. Girls Trip, since it made $30.3 million, um, the movie only cost $19 million to make. So it's pretty much already in the positives, and... It's only had its first weekend. So, you know, when you combine that with the fact that the reviews for Girls Trip are like actually pretty damn strong, it looks like that movie is going to make the studio a lot of money. Girls Trip has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the buzz is positive. It has like an A plus cinema score from its target demo. Uh, Girls Trip is going to be like one of those quiet triumphs of the summer that no one really saw coming. No one was talking about Girls Trip, really, up until about a week ago when the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, you know, when the reviews in general finally started coming out and people were like, you know what, this is actually a pretty damn good movie. So it just literally came out of nowhere and it might be one of the bigger success stories of the summer. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, on the other hand, you know, it dropped another 50%. Uh, right now, the total domestic haul is at $251.7 million. Very, very respectable. 
uh, has got a worldwide total of $571.7 million. It's a $175 million buck, so it's already in the profitable area. Um, in terms of where it stacks up to other Spider-Man films, it's currently in fifth place um, in terms of its domestic gross. Uh, with that 251, you know that puts it behind the Amazing Spider-Man, which was at two, which is you know it, it ended its run at 262. So when all said and done, Spider-Man: Homecoming will surpass the Amazing Spider-Man, but it's probably not going to touch the domestic halls of the Sam Raimi trilogy. Um, even the third one, which everyone hated. Uh, finished off with $336.5 million. I don't see Spider-Man Homecoming coming near that. It'll probably top out somewhere around, you know, 290 or 300 I would say. Because, um, you know, we're, we're heading into a very crowded part of the summer, I feel. So Spider-Man Homecoming is doing pretty well, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not making history, and it doesn't have the kind of legs that Wonder Woman had, that's for sure. So, yes, uh, Valerian. Uh, you know, I shouldn't skip over War for the Planet of the Apes. I still need to see that. But at 20 million, you know, that's a pretty big drop. War for the Planet of the Apes, which in its second frame dropped 63.7%. That's, you know, that is pretty dramatic, you know, for a film with the incredible reviews that it has and the fact that it's tied to a very well-known and well-liked property in the Planet of the Apes, a 63, almost 64% drop is pretty astounding. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how Fox would view this now. It's a $150 million movie, and worldwide now, through two weeks, it's only made 174. So, you know, if, going by, like, the, the sort of equation that you got to double the production budget before you can be in the, uh, in the positives... This movie needs to make $300 million before Fox can consider it a success. And through two weeks, it's only at 174. I'm, you know, I, I, I got to tell you the truth. I, I, I think War for the Planet of the Apes is going to go down as a bit of a disappointment, which is kind of a shocker. You know, the uh, people, you know, the, the other two films were fairly well liked. Uh, Matt Reeves is very hot right now. Uh, the reviews are through the fucking roof, and yet, you know, War for the Planet is, uh, it's lagging behind. You know, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes finished off with a 208.5 million domestic haul. Rise of the Planet of the Apes finished with 176. Uh, you know, War for the Planet might not make it to that. You know, it might come in under Rise, and Rise, uh, I don't know, man. That's that's pretty damn surprising. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on that. But I got to tell you, War for the Planet of the Apes seems like a bit of a letdown at this point in terms of the money that it's pulling in. Uh, Valerian, though, is kind of like the big story. You know, there was a lot of chatter about will this film be able to be, become anywhere near profitable? And it's funny, the... the the production budget continues to fluctuate. You know, um, Deadline had once reported it around $200 million. Then they said it was more like 185 Now you go on Box Office Mojo, and it says that it's $209 million. Uh, with a domestic haul of only 17 
they are going to be praying that international audiences really take to this film. They're going to be on their hands and knees praying. Because at this point, it looks like the studio is going to take a huge, huge loss when it comes to Valerian. Uh, and that's kind of sad. You know, I've, I've heard mixed things, but it, more than anything, I've heard that Luc Besson has turned in something that's unique and interesting and original. And right now we're in a landscape where everything is a reboot, a sequel, a remake, a prequel. And it would have been nice to see this, this film with a sort of, you know, uh, original, fresh take on things and a, a property that we have not yet seen on the big screen succeed. Uh, but it looks like that is very, very far from happening. Um, another sort of notable victory is The Big Sick. Uh, the Big Sick is in eighth place, but it's a low-budget film that currently has 24.6 million bucks. It's probably going to be a nice win uh, in, in the, uh, you know, a nice notch in the win column for, for Lionsgate. Um, and it's worth noting that Wonder Woman, on only 1,971 screens, still pulled in another 4.6 million, another very soft drop of 31.9%. Wonder Woman currently stands at a worldwide haul of $779.4 million. That's three, it's pretty much evenly split. It's got 389 domestic, 390 foreign. So it's also one of those rare instances where the domestic and the international pretty much are go hand in hand. So that's pretty damn exciting. And in terms of where she, you know, where she stands in the DC Extended Universe, she's number one, bitches, in terms of domestic. In terms of domestic, right now, with her, her 389, far surpasses Batman v Superman's 330, far surpasses Suicide Squad's 325, and doesn't even, you know, it, it leaves Man of Steel's 291 in the dust. Uh, worldwide... She's second to Batman v Superman. Uh, she's not going to touch Batman v Superman's $873.3 million worldwide. But you know what? I don't think anyone thought she was gonna. You know, it's a, it's a standalone solo superhero origin film. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, just by design, was, only, was always going to be uh, higher on the list than Wonder Woman. But Jesus Christ, Wonder Woman is quite a success story. But all right, it is currently time to bring on the man himself, the editor-in-chief of The Splash Report and the founder of Latino Review, Mr. Kelvin Chavez. What's cracking, kid? Dude, what's cracking? How about your fucking ankle? <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're injured, right? You're on the shelf. What did you do? I'm on the shelf. Oh, dude, it's a, like, long story short, I was roller skating, right? Okay. And as I got off the rink... I am walking to return the fucking skates. So it wasn't even while when you were I, skating. <laughs> it wasn't even while I was skating. That's amazing. I fucking walking, walking to the skates to return them, and I, I, I think I tripped on the on the on the rug, and I just rolled over my ankle, and then and I fractured it. And tomorrow, I get uh, surgery, which is wow, unfucking real. Yeah, you know? that's uh, that's ridiculous. But. But it's ridiculous. But look, I showed you the picture. I was at the hospital like yep. a, a few a few hours ago, just getting, I guess, a pre-admission. Yeah. Uh, for surgery, like they took blood and all this shit, and 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 
this is my first time ever going on the surgery, so let's see what happens. Yeah, so I guess getting old uh, sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> brittle, brittle bones. Brittle bones. And the scary what? And the scary part about it was that they were saying that uh, you know, the worst thing that can happen tomorrow is that you know if something's wrong with your bones, then. You know, I have to be in the hospital for three weeks. I was like, "What the what? fuck?" What? Yeah, he was like, "You have to. You might have to stay in the hospital for three weeks." I was like, "Nah, my boy, I can't do that." Well, you know, no. if that happens, that may mean that I have to take over the splash report. You know, I'll just be editor in chief <laughs> for three weeks and make that shit my yeah. site. Gordon, that's right. Um, but all right, so obviously the big topics today is, is, is everything coming out of San Diego Comic Con. Uh, we've also got some interesting stuff that's that seemingly confirms our old scoop about Justice League, but we'll get to that. For now, I want to talk about Comic-Con. I know a lot of people are interested in that, and that's like the big buzzy thing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot happened in these last three days. So I just want to ask you, like, when you think of San Diego Comic-Con 2017, what's like the big thing that came out of it for you, the most exciting thing that came out of it for you? I would have to say... The Infinity War trailer. Oh, that's, so it, yeah, the, uh, the that highlight reel. Did you see it? Yeah, of course. Well, you see, that's funny. You know, I I, I actually actively avoided it because I, I, I want to wait till Marvel actually releases something official. I don't want to watch some grainy cell phone thing. Did you see like a good quality version of it? I, yeah, it was funny. I saw at the day of that they were, uh, I think it was Saturday night. I was, I was at the house. Uh, somebody has sent me. Um, like it was like three minute version of it, but okay. it was really a good quality, and I had downloaded it on my computer. <sighs> so, and I was like, should I post this up? Or you know, I was like, you know, what? I'm not gonna post this. And then the next thing you know, not the same version, but a different version, when it got leaked online. Yeah. And what gets me, what gets me pissed about this whole thing? Not pissed, but just like you know what, Marvel, learn from the other studios, dude. If you're gonna show this. Just fucking release it. You already showed it at D23. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just release it. Like, everyone else has been releasing their stuff. Stranger Things, Justice League, yeah. this, that. Release it. What's the fucking issue? You know what I mean? But then <laughs> I, I get it. You know, like, then what's the point of going to Comic-Con? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why. try to make be, it special. So, yeah. So, I, I guess this was uh, only for D23 and for uh, Comic-Con. I would have, you know, like... I, would, I didn't go to the Comic Con this year because of my fractured leg, or else I would have been there. But um, you know, that's that's the one that. But I I heard other things. I mean, I heard somebody sent me a bootleg version of the Black Panther thing, but it was very very grainy. Yeah. But uh, I like that one too. But the one that stood out for me was was the Infinity War one. Yeah. All right. Well, look right now since you know since we're talking about the whether or not Marvel will or should or could release something more official. Uh, someone did get a hold of co-director Joe Russo, and they asked him, like, when are they going to release the, the you know, when is Marvel going to release an official Infinity War trailer? And here's what he said. You know, all I can say is that when the footage comes out, we want it to be exactly right. So we are taking our time and working on that footage because, as you can imagine, the levels of visual effects in these movies are unprecedented. And there are certain things in this footage at Comic-Con that works specifically for a Comic-Con audience. But when we go wide to a wide audience, we have to make sure that footage works for a wide audience. So it looks like maybe there's stuff in there that maybe was a little bit half-baked, but they knew that... 
Comic-Con audiences would still cream on themselves because this is like a dream come true for them. But they're not ready to release anything online anytime soon. So, coño! Because uh, I, I really, I don't want to, I, I don't want to see the bootleg. I want to see it right. I want to see it right. Call me a, uh, call me a prude, but I, I don't want to do the whole, uh, the hidden sneaky cam thing. Um, prude. Yeah, listen, I just, I just, you know what it is? I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I even feel guilty watching an official trailer on my phone. Because I feel like these things are meant to be seen on a big screen to really draw you in and get you interested in this property. Seeing it on a phone with a little dinky speaker on the side, like it doesn't do it justice. So I feel guilty just doing that. So imagine me watching just like an off you know, an off-screen, cell phone, grainy quality version of this. I, I, ju I just wouldn't feel right, coño, mierda, carajo. <laughs> no, and I, and I don't get what Russo gets, you know, says. I mean, I get it, and I don't agree that much, because last year, Justice League did the same thing, right? It wasn't an official trailer. It was yeah. just a, a Comic-Con, you know, a sizzle reel or trailer, whatever you call it. Yeah. And it, it worked for the wide audiences as well. Dude, I feel like telling Russo, dude, it's going to work with the wide audience. That remark, I would have been like, no, Nick, nah, it's, it's <laughs> if you were, work everywhere. If you were interviewing, you're like, nah, nah, nah. Nah, <laughs> release that, boy. Release that. I mean, it's it's, it's a dope-ass footage, like really dope, you know. And here, here I am because, you know, I, I'm a DC fan myself. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, I was like, oh, shit, I saw the Justice League trailer. That, that was, to me, that was impressive. Yeah. Right, and then Marvel came in, fucking, you know, with the Ragnarok? stole the thunder. Yeah, stole the thunder with I'm the like, God of Thunder. <laughs> yeah, stole it. I'm like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the 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 Thor also really that it was like for me it was like Infinity War, yeah, Thor and Justice League and 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 so on and so, so on. Justice like, League for you was like the third biggest thing that came out. Yeah, even, I, I, damn, in the beginning of the day. In yeah. the beginning of the day, it was the first. Obviously, I yeah. was still in my head. I was like, wow, that shit was good. You know? But yep. then Thor came out. I was like, yo, and to this me, that's the biggest surprise. Who would have thought that Thor Ragnarok was going to become suddenly the comic book cinematic event of the year? And like, it, lo it looks like that's what it's going to be, at least for the latter half of the year. I think Wonder Woman owns the first half of 2017. But I have a feeling Ragnarok is going to own the latter half of 17, right? Like, who would have seen that coming? Especially because, like, the first two Thor movies were so, like, meh. You know what I mean? Like, the first yeah. one was fine. I, I give it a thumbs up. I enjoyed the first Thor one. It was harmless. It was fine. Thor The Dark World was a fucking cagado. It was awful. Um, and then, yeah, Ragnarok, though. So, you know what? We're getting ahead of ourselves. I, I want to spend some time just dissecting these trailers a little bit. I want to focus on the two officially released ones, which are uh, Justice League and then Ragnarok, all right? So, okay. just a couple of things that for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lot more of like a, a nerd than you are. So, here's my sort of breakdown on the Justice League trailer. And then you can let me know what you agree or disagree with or if there's anything I'm missing here. Okay? Go for it. But first of all, I noticed right off the bat that visually the colors have brightened. There's a lot of scenes in the daytime. It seems to visually like pop more in terms of brighter colors instead of that like dark Instagram filter that Zack Snyder likes to put on all his movies. So that right away jumped out at me. 
Um, also, I like that there's more intrigue in this trailer than in a lot of the previous DC movies, especially ones for you know, trailers for Batman v Superman and the first Justice League. Like in this one, there's more like th- th- there's things that they allude to rather than show. You know, there's a lot more mystery. Like, you know, we don't get to see Steppenwolf in all his glory. We see him from behind. We see him from the side. We never actually see his face. And there's this intrigue there of what does he look like and what are his motivations? Just like that thing at the end where you hear the, 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 the there's a presence off screen that Alfred is speaking to. And you're wondering, oh, is that Superman? What is that? You know, there was more mystery here. They weren't just throwing everything at us. Like, like some of these DC trailers have done as of late. Even that opening scene where the guy's walking around with a silenced pistol in like a courthouse. Like, I, I want to see the movie now to see like, what is all this stuff? So I just like the inherent mystery in this trailer. Uh, I do agree with other people though that like there, there's some stuff where the CG looks like hell. By the way, is the, are the police coming to get you right now? What is that sound? Probably. <laughs> they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Uh, but yeah, so the wonky CG was a little much at times, but I can overlook it because overall I know that it's not finished yet and it, it'll, it'll look better, but I agree about the CG. So the, for me, like the part that got the most, that, that really kind of pulled me out of it and really sort of made me groan was when Bruce Wayne says he, you know, about Superman, uh, Superman didn't just save people. He made them see the best parts of themselves because as you know, I don't think that this Superman did. I don't think I don't think he did any of that. Um, and a lot of people focus on the whole like uh, you know Superman was a beacon of hope line not ringing true. For me, the part that really doesn't ring true was that he made them see the best parts of themselves. Where did we ever see a Superman in either the ba- in Man of Steel or Batman v Superman where he was like actually inspiring people and trying to get them to dig deep to find the good inside their soul? That never happened. You know what I mean? We, we never saw him in the conflict with Zod try to reason with him. We never saw him in the conflict with Batman try to like find the good in Bruce's soul. He was ready to fucking fight and, 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 uh, and break Bruce Wayne into a million little pieces up until he was about to die and he said, Martha. And then they had that soft little moment. But in general, this Superman seems like more like a brute. We don't see the Superman from the comics. And that's always been my issue with these movies, that they they make us think about the Superman we grew up with. And they expect us to think about that Superman when we watch these movies. But the fact is, they're not showing us that Superman. They're showing us a very different, more conflicted version of him. And that's why when Bruce says that in the trailer, I'm like, oh, fucking spare me. He was not a beacon of hope in these two movies. He didn't get people to see the best parts of themselves. You're talking out of your ass. So, yeah, I just... Th- that that fucking killed it for me. But... I mean, oh, go ahead. No, no, I mean, it's not a beacon of hope, but in Batman versus Superman, for example, that whole thing about, you know, this and this and that, you know, he didn't show you anything. To me, what stood out about that Superman, I was like, okay, I... I I get what he's he, he's here. I mean, not here, but I get it now. Like when Doomsday came out and and he was literally gonna kill Lex Luthor. Yeah. Right. He was gonna punch mm-hmm. him, and he just he stood in and took the punch. Yeah. And pretty much saved him. Yep. And threw him out. So to me, and, I was like, oh. He, and that's the thing. His, that was a big moment. I even said that back on the. To old me, that podcast. was a big moment. Yeah. yeah, that was a big moment. But like it, it was played. 
so nonchalantly, like nothing was made of it. You know, it seemed like that sort of element, that aspect of Superman's character just doesn't interest Zack Snyder. You know what I mean? Like, we, I feel like there was nothing about that. There was no moment there where you're like, wow, that was deep. It just happens and it's part of the fight and then we just kind of move on. You know, had they made more of an effort to have those kinds of moments really mean something, then I, I could buy this whole beacon of hope nonsense a little more. But they really, you know, the way it, it's been treated thus far, it's it's it, that element is just vastly underplayed. So that line there just felt like, ugh. that said, uh, something that gave me fucking chills was the fact that the the, the Hans Zimmer Superman theme is basically reorchestrated and remixed and used for the final minute of the trailer. Do you notice that? Yeah. Actually, I, I did. I was like, am I bugging out here? Or? Yeah, and I feel like it went over a lot of people's heads. A lot of people were trying to figure out, like, is Superman in the trailer? Or how are they handling Superman's presence in the movie? Well, based on the trailer itself and the way he's built up and spoken of, and with the music... I get the sense that Superman's going to be treated with some serious respect in this movie. And that, as a Superman fan, makes me very excited. But if, if you guys missed it, right around the time that Bruce starts speaking about Superman, as he finishes that line, the music that plays for the next minute is a reorchestrated version of the Hans Zimmer theme that we heard in, like, Superman, uh, the, the Man of Steel trailer 3. Man. Um, yeah, that shit was fucking gorgeous. So here's hoping that with this new direction they're pushing in with Jeff Johns guiding things with Joss Whedon stepping in to try to, you know, push things in a different direction that where Snyder was going. I think we're going to finally see a Superman that resembles the version of the character that most of us grew up on and expect of him. Um, but now with that, you know, now overall, though, about the Justice League trailer, I think it was a vast Vast improvement over the original one that we saw. Um, and that's about it. You know, it, it, it definitely got me more excited for the movie, more interested, more intrigued. And it, it, it's, I, for me, like, I'm glad that it also sort of stripped away the very sort of sarcastic, dark, cynical humor. You know, in the first trailer, everything was just, everyone was just bouncing off these sarcastic one-liners and it just felt very jaded. It felt like a jaded, dark movie. This trailer didn't make it seem that way. So it got, it got me excited. Uh, how about you, Kel? Any, any impre- you know, uh, observations or impressions you had about the Justice League trailer? I, I, I totally agree with you because that's the first thing that I saw was like, wow, this is a lot brighter than yeah. Zach. You know, I was like, wow, it's not dark. It's not as this. And then I started seeing like, there wasn't a lot of stuff that they used from the first trailer or the Comic-Con trailer. Yeah, there's a lot of new stuff in this trailer. A yeah. lot of new stuff in there. So I was like, I guess they're not using Zach's you know, uh, uh, footage that much. There <laughs> yeah. are some footages that they have in there that probably is from Zach. But, you know, that interests me. Uh, and I do agree with you on the um, – they didn't uh, spoil it like they did with the yeah. Batman versus Superman. They really and they showed like, played you Doomsday. their cards close to the chest here, yeah. Yeah, and they, I, I think that was Steppenwolf's voice when he was talking. Yeah, about, no, absolutely. The, yeah, it was no Steppen- guardians, no no guardians, lanterns. no no lanterns. I'm like, oh snap, you know, yeah, no that, lanterns. That, that was what? definitely, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, and then I 
to think he says no lanterns right i'm like so is this like a prequel to you know like where where does lanterns fall into this yeah you know, I assume we're going to find no out lantern. about the Lantern mythology in this movie a little bit and maybe explain why they haven't been around for a while. Maybe in, in the DCEU, the Green Lantern Corps has been sort of um, you know, under siege or not w- operating the way it used to. And that's why a lot of this shit's been going on and the Lanterns haven't been around to help, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and, and I, li- I like, you know, the Flash thing, you know, uh, where, you know, he's, you can tell that he's going to be the... I guess the the humor in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's like, I don't I don't fight, I push people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I and then I run away. <laughs> it's yep. like that. And 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 I like that scene where he's on the roof. He goes, "Oh, those guys are rude," and then he breaks out too. Yeah. You know? Also, I feel like I feel like you know uh, he's going to be used almost the way like Agent Coulson was used in Avengers. Like, he's going to be there to fanboy for us. He's going to be the stand-in for the audience who says, this is so freaking cool, seeing all these heroes. Like, he's going to be the stand-in for the audience, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think and, he's uh, going to bring heart. And, 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 and I also like that whole, um, I think that's Zack Snyder's version of uh, when Aquaman is going down with the, that thing, the, the, the villain. Yeah. He goes down, smashing through the building, and he comes out. Yeah, that looks you know, very Snyderish to me. That, that looks was cool. pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and and like you said, the, that entrance with the silencer and the gun, and she comes in and breaks that door, like you know, all slow motions Snyder style. Yeah, you know, all that stuff was cool. And I uh, really feel like they're you know the with with the way this trailer was structured, they really want mainstream audiences to think of this as a follow up to Wonder Woman, which makes sense. You know, since Wonder Woman is their big success story now. You notice how, like, the beginning is very Wonder Woman and, like, there's that big establishing shot of Themyscira and even, like, like the way the villain is designed, he kind of reminds you of Ares. Like, they're really trying to be like, you know, Justice League is a follow-up to Wonder Woman. Give this movie a shot. Did you, did you catch that? Yeah, definitely, you know, like, because, like you said, it, it starts off with Wonder Woman, right? She looks like she's in, uh, still in Paris, right? Yeah. And she's... You know, art. You know, painting or, or fixing whatever sculpture yeah. that was there. But uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, they're they're banking on the success of Wonder Woman. They're gonna probably just focus on her as the selling point of the film. Yeah, which makes Be- besides a lot Batman. Of sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, guess now. Listen, to, this is something I don't typically get into because it's a little too geeky, even for me. Yeah. But I've got a crazy theory based on some of the stuff in the trailer. And I want to just put it out there. And if anyone listening thinks I'm onto something, let me know what you think. If you think I'm on crack, let me know I'm on crack. But I have this weird feeling that there's going to be a subplot here where Bruce knows that Superman's coming back, right? And I think Bruce has designed a suit for Superman, very Tony Stark-like, where he makes suits and things. I think he makes a suit for Superman that Alfred's hanging on to and he's going to give to him when he when when Alfred and Superman meet up. Here's why I think that. During the shot, I want you to go back and rewatch it after this. During the shot where you hear uh, Steppenwolf say, you know, no Kryptonians, it looks like Bruce is looking at a hologram of Superman. If you go look if you if you really like slow down and isolate that area, He's looking at a hologram of a Superman suit with a cape, 
you see the top of the boot and you see the 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 like the the start of his leg like the back of his calf and whatever and you see all these lines on the leg i have this weird feeling that he knows that in order to help rehabilitate Superman, he needs a suit that really harnesses the power of the sun. And we may see Superman in some funky new Wayne-inspired suit while he's still getting his powers back. That's just, you know, between, between the weird hologram, which looks like he's looking at a concept for a suit, and the fact that when we hear Superman off screen, if that is him in the in the final moment where Alfred hears him, you hear these weird like mechanized sounds. It sounds like maybe he's wearing some sort of gadget or gear or something and he's not you know, like did you notice like, he sounds almost robotic off screen? Did you notice like the weird noises that they, that they Yeah, have? yeah, definitely. But I also thought that that hologram, if you look at it again, because I, I that's the first thing that caught my eye, right? No Kryptonians yeah. and blah blah. So I said to myself, is that Supergirl? Because it was like a white skin. It looked like a boot, and then it looked like a white skin, and it looked like a skirt. It looked like a skirt. I'm, I'm just so? saying. It looked like Supergirl, but I was like, you know what? There yeah. is no Supergirl in this thing. So I didn't think anything of it after that. Yeah. Because if you know. say, oh, my God, Supergirl's in it, then they're going to be like, oh, that shit yeah. sucks. Blah. You yeah, know, no, I did that's the, way, the first thing that I thought. See, for me, the, my sort of official theory here is that Bruce, since he's all smart and whatnot, uh, in these, you know, in in the DCEU, he's kind of like the Tony Stark with all the tech and all of the all of the uh, intel and detective work. I get the sense he knows that Superman gets his power from the sun, and that he's going to need a lot of power to come back to be fully restored to what he once was. So I think he makes some sort of suit that uh, kind of helps him harness the power of the sun and brings him back to full strength. That's just my weird theory. We'll see if I'm onto anything. Um, You're probably right, you know. You've been right before on the other theories that you said. Well, you know, I'm. Uh, it's not my first rodeo, but okay. So <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on to the other one. So later on on Saturday, after everyone was buzzing about Justice League, suddenly the Thor Ragnarok trailer came out, and it's all anyone was speaking about for the rest of Saturday. So yeah. this time, let's flip it. You tell me anything that you really liked about the Ragnarok trailer or disliked. You know, just give me your impressions, and then I'll kind of run down what I felt about it. I, I my first impression was this shit is bananas. You know, <laughs> this shit is bananas. You know, it, it starts off with him in the, and I guess in the in the gladiators arena, and then the Hulk comes out, and it's just like where we had said back in the days in that site that we don't mention. Um, <laughs> That this is like sort of like a Planet Hulk type of thing, and yeah. you see it in, in in its full you know fruitation, and that call and then we just see the, that it's come to fruition. Fruition, exactly. God damn it! No, and, then, <laughs> and then and then and then and then the next thing you know, you know, it's very colorful. Yep. Uh, and what also caught me is that what's the name of that girl that the one that we broke the story uh, that she is uh, was it a Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah, name? yeah. Uh, I'll tell you right now while you keep talking about her. Yeah, that that scene was, you know, there's a lot of scenes in there that were like jaw dropping, you know, yeah. and very jaw dropping, especially with the Hulk, you know, um, uh, when that wolf comes and attacks him and he just like looks like he's going to rip his mouth open. Yeah. Um, that one's cool. Uh, the whole. Uh, what else caught my eye? Um, of course, you know. Well, you're the talking about Tessa Thompson, big, Valkyrie. Tessa, Tessa Thompson. Thompson, yeah, there yeah. you go. Her, her, uh, they fo- and I noticed that on, on that trailer, a lot of focus looks like it was on her. 
too as well. You know, like mm-hmm. they showed you a lot of pieces of her. Yeah. Same thing with um Kate Blanchett, you know, her her role was uh as a villain, you know. Yeah. Her scenes were really, really dope. But the one and then of course the one that stood out for me was at the very end when <laughs> Thor is just chilling, hanging out, sitting down with the Hulk and talking, and you hear the Hulk talking yep. all this stuff. I was dying and I was like, yo, this is gonna be a a, a great movie. And I saw the trailer of the kids and they said that looks really great. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me what Marvel looks like they're about to pull off with Ragnarok. Um, so, okay, so right off the bat, it just feels so different than either of the previous Thor films, right? As soon as it begins. Yeah, The, begins, the tone, exactly. the look, the, 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 the way, the, the dialogue that he's speaking, the whole, like, it's, it, it's almost like they're rebooting Thor with this movie. And you, it's rare that a film, you know, th- that a series, three entries into it, suddenly, you know, takes such a huge leap. You know, usually you're playing it fairly safe by the time you get to three, four, and five. But with Ragnarok, it looks like it's a relaunch of the Thor brand. It looks fucking amazing. Um, oh, and by the way, I just got to add that you know, they have a little, uh, there, there's, a, there's a nod, a visual nod to the Richard Donner Superman, which I'll always love that when, when people do this. Everyone loves throwing in visual cues from that movie. But did you notice okay. that in the beginning when they show the Marvel logo, it suddenly becomes like the 3D zooming words at the screen, complete with like the trail oh, lines yeah, yeah, behind yeah, yeah, the yeah, words? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's straight from the Donner Superman opening credits. So you almost kind of get the sense that Taika Waititi is another one of these directors from this generation who was greatly inspired by Richard Donner's Superman, which, you know, that always just makes me very excited. But then, like, the trailer starts to play, and then we sort of go into, like, the the blackout, and the music starts to play. And the music, I gotta say, like, I think Marvel finally got the cue that music fucking matters, that score matters. You know, remember last year there was that viral video about the Marvel Symphonic Experience and how, like, the music in Marvel movies basically sucks? Uh, I think that they're starting to finally, like, learn that we have to put some effort into these scores. Because Spider-Man Homecoming had some pretty damn great music, and now the music in this trailer, if this is what the trailer, if this is, like, going to be what the score for this movie sounds like, I'm buying the fuck out of that soundtrack when it comes out. Because it sounds like, like Stranger Things mixed with, like, rock. It's fucking awesome. So the music is great, right, in the beginning, and it, it, it sort of sets the film aside from, apart from other Thor films. And overall, just, like, the visuals and colors were bright and brilliant and exciting, unlike anything in that dark gray slog that was Thor the Dark World. Um, and overall, I just, I think, I think Ragnarok is going to sort of, uh, is, is going to continue to push Marvel in a new direction. I really sort of get the sense that they're trying to stay ahead of the curve. You know, we know that when people bitch and moan about the MCU, some of the first things that come up is the villains suck, the visuals are sort of uninspired, it looks like it's shot by like a TV director, and they say that it's, you know, that, that, that there are no like emotional stakes, that everything is rounded out by jokes, no one ever dies, and that they're sort of softball movies. I kind of get the sense that, that Marvel's trying to stay ahead of all that. 
and sort of almost like reboot itself within these last few movies. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy looked like nothing we've ever seen before. Spider-Man Homecoming had some great, you know, it had great music. The The stakes were really there. You felt for Peter Parker. The, the villain battle was very personal and interesting. Vulture was actually a pretty damn dope villain. Um, we know that in Infinity War, shit's going to get really dark. You know, uh, the, the Russo brothers are talking about the fact that we're probably going to see some deaths and we're going to have a very sort of emotional Infinity War movie. I just get the sense that Marvel is very smartly trying to sort of, you know, get out in front of the problems rather than wait until audience starts, audiences start to reject them and the box office numbers go down because of the critiques. They're, they're, they're staying ahead of the curve and fixing themselves before audiences can get tired of them. You know what I mean? Definitely, which is smart, to be honest with you. you know? Yeah. Rather than wait until the formula dies and stops working, they're sort of evolving the formula. Um, and, 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 and stop waiting until they all get old and be like, okay, next. You know? Yeah, yeah. So Ragnarok, yeah, that trailer for me just felt like a fucking breath of fresh air. Um, it sort of also reminded me of the first Guardians of the Galaxy when I first saw the first time. You think so? So oh, A little bit. Not, not yeah. much, but... You know. Okay, I, I but I, 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 I'm telling you, man, that and then that wasn't. It was just I can't even fucking words can describe how how good that shit was. To be honest with you, what, it was the, just good. The Ragnarok trailer, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right, so now you know I I, uh, I know I've got you on borrowed time. You got big things going on. So right now I just kind of want to talk about two other things that came out of Comic Con that I, that should be of note. Um, one of them is the fact that it looks like Joss Whedon. <laughs> is being credited as a co-director on Justice League, which, you know, anyone who follows the Splash Report, which if you don't, you fucking should. I don't know what's wrong with you. But we broke the story in like late May, early June, that Justice League was getting a major, major overhaul. And that, you know, that the studio had basically sort of you know, they were working on their third version of the movie now. You know, there was the version of the film that was written two years ago. There's the version that they started filming in April of last year. And then there's the version that they're trying to finish up now. Because for whatever reason, you know, the studio is just not happy with what they've seen. They don't want to have another Batman v Superman on their hands. And so, you know, this movie is going to look and feel very different than what their original plan for it was. Uh, with this word now from an official source, this is from Warner Brothers UK. They refer to the film as being directed by Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. Uh, this really just you know goes to the point and confirms that what's going on with Justice League is substantial, despite all the efforts to minimize what Whedon is doing. If you, you know, the fact that they're going to give him a co-directing credit, it looks like, that means he's doing a lot. He's responsible for a lot. A lot, man. He didn't even go to Comic-Con. He didn't even go to Comic-Con because he's busy in the editing bay trying to make this movie as good as it can be. And just to sort of put into perspective, you know, this kind of stuff has happened before. And the, and the, the, the director who steps in to help does not get a directing credit. 
You know, that like Tony Gilroy, who we know shot a ton of stuff for Rogue One, a Star Wars story, he's not credited alongside Gareth Edwards. We know that Simon Kidberg came on and he took over the reshoots for Fantastic Four when Josh Trank was doing it. He doesn't have a directing credit. But if they're giving Whedon a directing credit, that means that what he's done here and what he's in the process of doing is substantial. So, you know, did, did that th- did that sort of cross your mind at all, Kel, that like this Whedon news is just further verification of what, what we've been saying for two months now? Oh, yeah, definitely, dude. It's like, um, it's just like, and we took a lot of shit for it, too. Oh, you know? a lot of shit. <laughs> we took a lot of shit. And then, you know, I keep hearing also that um, there, there was just, you know, too much was already filmed and that they're working around, I guess, uh, the CGI shit. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. A lot of the reshoots, from what I was hearing, a lot of the reshoots uh, are not going to involve like expensive CGI stuff. You yeah, it's mean? more so, like the. It, it's kind of like what happened with Rogue One, where Gilroy yeah, yeah, was exactly. brought in to shoot all like the dialogue scenes, the character development scenes in between the action sequences, because the action sequences are way too expensive to redo. And in general, those were sort of set in stone, but it's the scenes before and after them that had to get reworked. So what Whedon more than likely worked on the most was the scenes of the team interacting with each other and sort of like the uh, the narrative subplots. In terms of Snyder's action sequences, those probably will all remain practically intact. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking, too. And then, I, then what you were just saying right now, you know, this guy didn't get credited that this one didn't get credited. Yeah. Like, why would he get credited? You know what I mean? And then I saw the source where this thing came from. I think he came from a, a YouTube uh, Warner Brothers channel, which now they took that down. They oh. took that little piece down of Zack Snyder and, <laughs> and now Josh they know Whedon. Because you know, like, oh, shit, this is actually a big story, and maybe we don't want to <laughs> put it out there because people yeah. are going to realize how much work's being done on this flick. Um, yeah, so they, they took that down, and, and then... Um, I, I, I like people were saying, oh, Josh, like me and a friend of mine were talking, chatting on on uh, on iChat. We're like, but he has to show. I'm saying he's not going to show. And I was going to tweet that. Don't expect Whedon to be at Comic Con because he's in London. Yeah. And and the next thing you know, you know, if I would have said that, all these DC fanatics who, well, that's not true, man. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? Honestly, though, I got to tell you, I'm I kind of didn't expect him to come. You know, I really feel like. You know, Whedon would have seen it as disrespectful to Snyder for him to be up there with the cast. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, yeah, I almost feel like for Warner Brothers' sake, they wouldn't want him up there because it once again looks like there was a hostile takeover of the Justice League movie. And they don't want to give off that impression. They don't want people thinking, yeah, we basically took this movie away from Snyder and handed it to someone else. You know what I mean? I feel like it would be a bit of a public relations nightmare for Whedon to be there, unless it's Whedon alongside Snyder and they're both you know, and they're both part of the panel. To have Whedon stand alongside the cast on his own, I think would have been a big issue. So honestly, I wasn't surprised that he wasn't there. It didn't bother me that he wasn't there. I think it was actually very smart that he wasn't there. Yeah, and, and it's funny how um, what you said, you, know, you wouldn't mind seeing both of them together, but obviously, you know, the cast still loves and supports Snyder because yeah, I don't know if you saw, I, you, you saw the, the, the t-shirt that uh, yeah, Ray, Ray Fisher, Fisher had. Yep, yep, yep. I love, I love Zack Snyder. And they Snyder. call him their fearless leader and everything. Listen, yeah. 
And listen, you know, Snyder deserves credit. You know, he's the one who cast all these people. He's come up with, like, the visual stylings of the DCEU. He's had some pretty damn good ideas along the way. He's credited with the story for Wonder Woman. Like, in general, I've always said that Snyder's got good ideas, and he's got a great visual eye. When it, when it comes to visual storytelling, he's amazing. I think he would have been a phenomenal director of photography, a wonderful DP or a cinematographer. I just don't think he's a gifted storyteller, and that's why he, he should work on how things look, and someone else should work on how things, you know, feel. But uh, anyway, um, speaking of, like, rumors and, and, and things that, you know, people kind of don't want to come to grips with, uh, there was also that report that came out about, you know, this is from The Hollywood Reporter, by the way, who pretty much confirmed what you and I have been talking about off the air for a while now. Which is yeah. that Ben Affleck is not going to be around much longer. That the rental on Ben Affleck as Batman is going to run out fairly soon. So, you know, everyone's been telling us this. We've been hearing it from all these different, from tali, 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 furanito. But now with the Hollywood Reporter coming out to say it, I mean, that's a huge confirmation. You know, that, 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 that's a news outlet that would not just run a rumor. And if they're reporting it, it's because they're very damn confident about this. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And the issue is, you know, of course, they may have to put their foot in their mouths if he does do the first Batman movie. But in general, the core crux of the story wasn't that he's going to drop out of the Batman, but that he's definitely not going to stick around for a trilogy. And that if we're going to see another Batman Ben Affleck, it's maybe one other movie at this point, and then that's it. And that Warner Brothers is trying to figure out on, you know, life after Affleck. And then, of course, Affleck was asked about this uh, at Comic-Con, and it was very interesting to me the way he addressed it, because he didn't even let the guy finish the question. He just sort of cut him off and said, I love Batman. Wait till you see the Justice League stuff. I love playing Batman. This is so cool. Matt Reeves is great. I, you know, I, I'm excited to be doing this movie with Matt Reeves. Like, all right, so you're, he's still not addressing the fact that he's probably going to do the dip right after this first Reeves Batman movie. But again, everyone hears that and they go, see, he debunked the rumor. He's not going anywhere. I'm like, no, dude, trust me. He's yeah, like you said, he was out. being he, he was being very vague with the answer. It was you know very I mean? like, vague, yeah. It was just, yeah, listen, we know it, you know, quote unquote, you're excited. And also on top of that, you're 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 part of the Hollywood machine. Of course, you 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 have to say you're excited. You have to say this is incredible. So, you know, and, I, I don't buy it at all. I don't, you know, he's and just that's doing what I damage tweeted. control. Yeah, and that's what I tweeted that the the day of I'm like, really? You really want him to say, Yeah, yeah, you know what, I'm out. He's I'm not going to say that, dude. Roar. And remember, yeah, this is the so, same guy who went on Jimmy Kimmel one day and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely doing the Batman. I'm directing it. You know, let's put those rumors to bed. And then fucking 10 days later, he dropped out of directing the Batman. <laughs> yeah, you know? So you can't exactly. trust what he says in public. He's a salesman and he knows that you have to try to play, you know, studio politics and do what they want you to do. And you're basically a shill for these movies. So you think I he's mean, really going to stand up in front of a crowd in Hall H and be like, yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? No, he's yeah. not. No, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, how long have we known about this? Look, we known that for a while, right? Oh, yeah. And then we heard it was 50-50 that he was going to be in. He was, And then finally we heard that he was literally out after Justice League. And then the Hollywood Reporter pretty much said it. But 
I've always said if you if you like depending on his contract, I don't know how many movies he has to do. I think he was a four deal contract. I'm not sure, so I'm not really uh, yeah. you know 100 percent accurate on, in that info. But he's already done you know uh, three right. He did Batman vs Superman, uh, Suicide Squad, and Justice League right. So he got one more. And, I mean, and I've I said I don't this. think they're going to count uh, Suicide Squad because that was like just a glorified cameo. But I think I do think he's supposed to make one more. And I think that's the sticking point. I think, yeah. shit, all right, fine, I have to make one, but let's get this over with because I want out. Like, I think that's what's happening behind the scenes, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and that's what I've been talking to other people who keep asking me, like, you know, how do they do it? I said, if you want him to do it, he should do it with Matt Reeves, right? Yeah. And do it something like The Godfather where it goes back and forth, you know what I mean? So he's in the opening scene, and then he thinks about what happened yeah, yeah, in yeah, the, in the, exactly. In, in the in the future and in, in the past, I'm saying. Yeah, you know, and then you obviously have to cast a new Batman, a younger Batman, and you know what happened between all that stuff that that happened. You know. And, yeah, I I so. honestly think that's the way they're going to go with it. I think they're going to use this first Reeves movie with Ben Affleck to transition into a new Batman. Whether it's they recast a younger Bruce Wayne for the flashback sequences and he eventually just becomes the cinematic Bruce Wayne, or they do a thing where they hand it off to Dick Grayson or someone else to be Batman and they make the idea that you can hand the cowl down. Um, you know, I think they're going to do something like that. Uh, and I've always said, I think he's going to do the Matt Reeves Batman. Um, so, you know, the, the, these reports about him, like possibly not being there at all, that always struck me as far fetched. What isn't far fetched is that, is that he will do one and then that's a wrap on Batfleck. Um, but all right, man. Uh, was there, I any- mean, but what, what was that, What happens with Justice League then part two? I mean, that's if I there think is, that's the issue see, that's, that they're that's, having trouble with. Because remember, Justice League was supposed to be shot. You know, one and two was going to be one long thing until yeah, they scrapped yeah. it. So right now, you have Warner Brothers is sort of yeah. caught with its pants down at this point. You know, they thought that they were going to have Affleck through this process, um, but they're not going to anymore. So I think that's one of the reasons that there is so much scrambling going on. And there is so many little reports about behind the scenes drama and all this sort of shit. Because now they have to figure out, damn, we were always going to transition him out, but now we have to transition him out before we've really completed the arc we were going to tell. You know? So I think that's what's going on. Uh, I don't yeah, know how they're going to do it. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. And that's why I think maybe the Flashpoint movie was put in place to help with stuff like this. You know, yeah, I have yeah. a feeling that Flashpoint is going to do for the DCEU what Days of Future Past did for the X-Men cinematic universe, where it sort of helps them sort of reset the stage a little bit. Because you know how Days of Future Past are using the, doing, using like the time travel and whatnot? Yeah, They yeah, basically yeah. helped like retcon out certain elements of the canon. And like basically they got to pick and choose what stayed and what vanished. So I feel like Flashpoint, since it messes with time travel and all that stuff, is going to allow them to sort of, you know, retcon, re, you know, uh, reconfigure the DCEU. And maybe they're going to use that to get us a new Batman or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, definitely. So we shall see, puto. Um, yeah. And what didn't you like about the – no, the only thing that I didn't like so far about – the panels, for example, like yeah. the DC panel and the Marvel panel, was that 
you know, they I guess they gave the fans what they wanted to see footage, right? Yeah, that's what they all go for. I mean, I, if I go there, but I also wanted, you know, announcements or casting news. Nothing on either side. Yeah, none. You know, obviously we knew Green uh, Green Lantern Corps was coming out. We knew Wonder Woman two was coming out. Although they confirmed Wonder Woman two is coming out, right? But they didn't confirm Patty Jenkins still. You know, there was rumors that they were going to confirm her there, and that never happened. And obviously, we know about Batgirl, so all that stuff we already knew. So yeah. why didn't you give us a casting on, let's say, Green Lantern or something like that, you know? Yeah. I give mean, us something I, I, I kind of can't blame them. I still get the sense that they are working very diligently behind the scenes to, like, sort of, you know... Uh, yeah, just kind of sort of fix the DCEU at this point. And, and, and they realized that last time they made all these big announcements, they ended up having to eat their words as directors dropped out and writers dropped out and all this sort of stuff. So I, I feel like they don't want to attach any names until things are further along in the process. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's just what I think. I, I think. And right now, I think all of their focus is on what's coming next in terms of the immediate future. I think all of their focus is on getting Justice League right. It's on getting Wonder Woman 2 off the ground, since that's their big hit, and on getting Aquaman right. I honestly don't think that they're all that focused or concerned right now with anything beyond that. That's just kind of how I view it. I think they know that they got way ahead of themselves when they when they announced that 10-movie slate back in, like, 2014. And now yeah. they're trying to be more conservative and just be like, all right, we're going to put all of our eggs in these next two baskets instead of letting you know what's coming out in six years and who's doing it and why and what it's going to be. You know what I mean? No, so, definitely. And the thing with Marvel is the same thing. You know, like, no big announcement. Uh, I figured that it would at least announce the name of uh, the fourth Avenger film. They never yeah. did. They just still Avengers 4. No um, no new film that they're working on. Nothing. Like, yeah. literally nothing. Yeah. You know, Captain Marvel's all news. We all knew about that shit. You know? Well, you know what? But, uh, I was going to get into that this to later. Me was the, the, that, to me, was the upsetting part. There was yeah. no new announcement. Nothing. Well, you know what? So, I was going to get into this later, but since you brought it up, we're going to get into it now. I think Marvel is very wisely right now putting a lot of their focus in Infinity War. And I think from the ashes of Infinity War, whatever storyline takes place there, we're going to get our next phase of movies. I think right now they want to, they want to close off this loop before they start really talking about what's coming afterward. Because so much of what the, has happened in these last nine years has really been building towards the Infinity War. So I think they want, you know, the, there's even this quote from, from, from Joe Russo where he refers to Infinity War as a culmination event. You know what I mean? So this is the end of a lot of stuff. A lot of the themes and characters and subplots and storylines have been building towards this. So I feel like they want to have everyone's focus on Infinity War and how that's going to basically close off a lot of what we know and love about Marvel and then set us up for the next phase. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, definitely. And, and in a way, I think that's going to help the movie be more impactful. 
because when you think about the Russo brothers, like I, you know, for me, Civil War was a bit of a letdown, but The Winter Soldier was phenomenal. The Winter Soldier was like the first Marvel film that really had stakes. I always go back to that scene where Nick Fury is getting attacked in his car, and you know, oh he, yeah, and like you're scared for him. And, you know, in, in these Marvel movies, you don't usually get that sense of like fear and are they going to survive? And you know, the violence feels almost like everyone's pulling their punches. It doesn't really feel that impactful. Uh, Winter Soldier felt like a fucking grown-up, grown-ass movie where, like, you're worried about people. There's blood. There's violence. You know, uh, Steve Rogers is fighting his best friend, and everything feels very personal and very dire. There's a lot of emotional stakes in The Winter Soldier, whereas Civil War was more so, you know, it was about positioning or, or pivoting the MCU in a particular direction. Civil War was one of these movies where the Russos went into it knowing, okay, we can't really tell a complete story. The real purpose of this movie is to break up the Avengers and help set us up for Infinity War. So there weren't really as many dramatic stakes, and they kind of had to be like team players on Civil War. With I mean, I think, the, War, I think the only... Yeah, go ahead. No, I just I think with Infinity War, they get to once again make like a more Winter Soldier type movie where like here we're bringing things to an end. Here we don't have to worry so much about setting up seven sequels about this stuff. This is about culminating, you know, 10 years worth of storytelling. So they're going to get to have people fucking die. They're going to get to really like, you know, make shit grab you by the throat because they're not really focusing on setting up sequels as much as they are about closing off everything that's come before it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, the only dramatic scene that I saw in Civil War, you know, I agree with you. It was, I, it was, it wasn't like phenomenal. You know, it was, it was okay. I mean, yeah. it was uh, that scene where. I guess to me that dramatic scene was where there where um, Tony Stark finds out Winter Soldier. Yeah, that killed was his deep. Parents. That was deep. That was like the that one was deep. deep part for me. Yeah, that was deep, and then that whole fighting sequence at the end. You know that shield doesn't belong to you. You just dropped the shield. Thomas Amierda. here. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> shove it up. Shove it up your ass. Yep. <laughs> you know? No, that trio fight was like the biggest part of that movie. And meanwhile, yeah. you know everyone talks about the airplane sequence, the airport sequence, which was cool, but it was just fluffy for me. Um, yeah. And speaking of this idea of stakes and whatnot, you know, Joe Russo was also talking about this. Here's this quote uh, that came out at San Diego Comic-Con where he's saying, my brother Anthony and I believe in stakes. I believe that everything has to have an end at some point in order for it to have value. The audience should be prepared. Um, he also said, it'll be emotional for a lot of different reasons. As all our films try to do, we want to have the laughs, we want to have the heart, we want to have the humor, and Infinity War has all of that. But he's referring to a film that's going to be very emotional for different reasons, where there's going to be stakes, where things are going to come to an end, and that the audience needs to, needs to brace itself. So with that in mind, I just get the sense that maybe one of the reasons that they didn't want to discuss too much in depth or get people thinking about what happens after Infinity War is they want everyone focusing on this film as the big smackdown that's going to close off the loop that began in 2008, you know? Yep. And I, I, I think that's a very smart move. I really do. Um, and if you go see that, and if they release, well, whatever they're going to release for Infinity War... 
Yeah. You're going to see it. You're going to be like, oh, holy shit. Oh, and by the way, everyone's wondering how the hell are they going to do this? Well, like in terms of like the running time, how long is this movie going to be with all the shit that they're going to do? Uh, Russo also said that the current cut is over two and a half hours. Most of it's a movie you could show, but there's still a lot of work left to be done. I still have a couple of scenes that we haven't finished from Avengers 3 that I'm shooting in the next few months with my brother. And it's certainly going to be a film that lives in the two and a half hour, two and a half hour plus range. So, guys, this is going to be a movie that's probably like 245, close to three hours. So this is going to be a fucking this – this is going to be the godfather. Epic. Yeah, this is going to be the godfather of uh, of superhero movies, I think. Uh, it, doesn't, and it, doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like they're going to sell us short on this, you know. Um, and he also said, you know, you know, we've got to take 10 years of storytelling in this Marvel narrative experiment that's been going on since Iron Man. And we have to take all these disparate tones, disparate themes, motivations, and we have to pull them together in a unified narrative and write the final chapters of the book. All this stuff about finality, you know. He says there's no way you could do that with all these characters in under that running time and under that running length. So it's going to be long and it's going to be fucking epic. Everything they're talking about is about bringing things to an end and having, you know, I just, I'm very, very hyped right now for Infinity War. Um, And it sounds like, you know, they really, their priorities are in the right place with all this. Um, Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, if you had the chance to see, uh, if it's still online, the bootleg version of it. Yeah. Check it out. It's decent. Um, And you're going to see this is going to be an epic fucking movie. Yep. Now, transitioning a little bit, did you get a chance to see the uh, Stranger Things 2 trailer that came out of Comic-Con? Yep, I did. And I thought it was awesome, especially, especially when they use MJ's thriller. Yeah, dude. As soon as I heard Vincent Price's voice, I'm like, I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Yeah, that was so awesome. I was like, wow. You know, it fits perfectly. It comes out on Halloween. You have this. Yep. You know, I'm hoping that I, I'm hoping that it's 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 a uh, it's um it's going to be good. Yep. And I, real quick, real quick, yeah. jumping. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Say your thing about Stranger Things. No, I just I it, it, similar to like House of Cards. Like I can't believe the the Hollywood level of production value. Like this doesn't look like a TV show. This looks like a fucking Hollywood production. Meanwhile, it's just a little Netflix series. You know what I mean? Like I, I I'm blown away. By how well made it looks and feels, the characters, the sets, the effects, the music, like this looks like like a cinematic experience. Meanwhile, it's just a fucking Netflix show. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable to me what they're able to pull off. Like I wonder how expensive Stranger Things. I should look into that at some point. What is the budget on that series? Because. It looks better than most of the stuff on network TV. You know, the, the production value on that is better than like Supergirl or Arrow or The Flash on the CW. It's better than even what I've seen from like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Channel 7. And these are like professional you know, things, whatever. Like Stranger Things looks to me like a fucking Hollywood event. It doesn't look it's just like a little fucking Netflix show, you know? No, definitely. I, I agree with you 100%. And and I agree with you that it does look better than <laughs> the, the Arrow, Flash, Super yeah. production, literally, by far. Now, I'm not saying that it those those CW shows ain't good, yeah. because they are, you know, but uh, just the scope of it looks just wow. 
Yep. You yep. know? Yep. By the way, th- th- there was also the big story about Captain Marvel. The, uh, taking place in the 90s and having the scrolls and all that sort of shit. Did anything about, uh, you know, did anything about Captain Marvel jump out at you? Just uh, the only thing that I found interesting was obviously they're going back to the 90s and that Nick Fury will have two eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I missed that That's the that only part. thing that I'm like. Is that really? That's the only thing. Yeah, that's the only thing that I heard that he was going to have two eyes. And I guess you'll see why he was going to have one patch. One yeah. eye. Okay. All right. You know? Why not? But what, yeah. I did see th- what, what I did see this weekend was the first four episodes of The Defenders. Oh, you did? Yes, so, sir. What did you think? What did you, what did you think? I thought it was I thought it was actually pretty good, dude. Like the first episode, like nah. The second episode, you know, it starts towards the end, it starts picking up. But the, at the end of the third episode, it really picks up. Okay. And then on the fourth on the fourth episode, you're like, and I tweeted one one of the pictures I tweeted, that's how it ends on the fourth episode. You're like, fuck. Really? Put me number you put me number five. Hurry up. And and you know now we have to wait till August 18th for the rest. Damn. But I was I would out of the four out of let's say what five stars they give I would give this like around let's say four stars. The you know the beginning is a little slow burn, you know because you can see what and what I and you're gonna see this on the color scheme, is what I caught also on the first episode, like um, when they have uh, Daredevil. Yeah. They they, they should when they show you him and his character. Um, Matthew Murdoch, it's reddish, right? Yeah. And then Luke Cage, you know, the, the cinematographer is yellowish, you know, with the sun beaming. Okay. All it's right. all yellowish. And then it becomes purple for Jessica Jones and greenish for Iron, I mean, uh, Iron Fist. You know, so you get that color schemes and all. You, you, you see that in the first episode. And then the second episode, which, uh, was they, I think they didn't focus too much on the, the color scheme, but I like the fact that you see uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist meet for the first time in the alley. That was pretty cool. You know, that whole sequence is really cool. Yeah. And then that on the trailer, when you see, I guess, them fighting in the hallway, all of them, you see that yeah. scene that they're all fighting. That's that's episode three. And then ah. episode four is uh, episode four is a different. So you it picks up a lot faster than, let's say, um, Iron Fist did, for example. Yeah, Iron yeah, Fist yeah. was like a little slow burn for like four, four episodes, five episodes. But this one, it it literally picks up. And I like and the reason I say the first one is a slow burn is because, um, when they focus on each character, they tell you what they've gone through. You know what I mean? Like, awesome. um, so if you're an outsider who's never seen the series, it sounds yeah, like the Defenders is going to sort of give you some of the background. Yes, definitely. Like, um, uh, you can tell that uh, Matthew Murdoch is obviously retired from Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. And you can you sense that he he misses it and that he wants to do something about it, but he holds back. Luke Cage, you know, he just gets, obviously, you know, at the end of Luke Cage, he went to jail. He's obviously out of jail. Mm-hmm. He wants to move on with his life and so on. Jessica Jones, still a drunk in the bar, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, Iron Fist is so it gives you like the bullet would, points of the characters. So even if you yeah, even if yeah. you are coming into it fresh, you can you, you get enough of a sense of who they are to still be invested. Yeah, definitely, that's very smart. That's that, very smart. And okay. it was funny because what's hilarious is like um, there's a there's a line that Jessica Jones says. Uh, 
they're all fighting and stuff like that. He goes, am I the only one that doesn't know Kung Fu? <laughs> I was like, you know, it was cool, you know. That's pretty funny. And then, and then you can tell, like, Iron Fist and Luke Cage on episode, I believe it's four or three or four. I think it's four. Uh, they become buddy buddies. Like, you know, I mean, you can tell that they're going to be episode five, six, and seven, eight. I, I want to see how that relationship ends up being because obviously in the comic books, they're buddies. Yeah. You know, they become like a buddy team. And you can tell that that's where it's leading up to. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And you can tell like Iron Fist this time around towards episode four is more like a, a comic relief person. You know okay. what I mean? Not comic relief, per, but there are certain things that you like, and you start laughing at, at the stuff that he does. Yeah. You know? All but right. it's overall, dude, you got to check it out. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good right. so far. Uh, you know what? I, I have like a shameful admission, too. I never actually finished Luke Cage or Iron Fist. So, like, tell me, should I? I got up to, like, episode eight of Luke Cage and episode four of Iron Fist. Yeah, finish it because he does does mention, like, in the first episodes, in the first episode, each person talks about their past. Like, you know, um, uh, what do you call that? Like, um... Daredevil talks about Electra and the lover, love of his life, and and stuff like. That. And Luke Cage talks about, you know, who's taking over Harlem after what happened, and Iron Fist obviously is going after the Hand, and you know that's how it really starts off. He's going after somebody who's in the Hand, you know, in, in this that yeah. group, the, the the Hand. See, Gourney Weaver was, you know, shockingly good as well, dude. You know, it's like she is like the fucking boss oh i wouldn't you know be I mean? shocked by that she's great sigourney weaver man she's a legendary actress of course she's great yeah and it's like you know margaret um la chinita the, the old asian woman yeah she's like above her you know what i mean like wow she's ordering that lady around yeah you know what i mean so i was like wow what kind of what role is she in the hand you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. but uh her martial art moves are, are pretty cool just right. want to let you know that she has a little bit of martial arts in her. All right, good. So that that's that's interesting for you. All you right, know? bring it on, motherfucker. Yep, yep. And one other thing I want to touch on, totally not superhero related, but I feel like you might care about this the same way I do. Um, okay. Did you hear the news that Sylvester Stallone has finished the script for Creed Two? I heard something about it that Drago was in it. Yes. So get this. <laughs> He, he, he put on Instagram that he's finished the, the script for Creed 2, and you know one of the hashtags is Drago, and he yeah. just confirms, because there were some like cryptic Photoshop teases a few months ago that Ivan Drago was going to factor in. So that means we're going to see fucking old man Dolph Lundgren <laughs> show up. Oh, that's going to be amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, you know, Let and him say his be, lines. Yeah. I will break you. But on I top will of that, break like, you. On top of that, though, it's like, you know, the first one came out and it was sort of an allegory. You know, I, mean, I should say the first one. I mean, Rocky Four when it came out, it played on the Cold War, you know, in America yeah. versus Russia then. And now with all this shit going on in our current geopolitical sphere with America <laughs> versus Russia all over again, uh, it looks like once again, like he's going very timely with, with having sort of that Russian presence in Creed too. Now, the thing that worries me, and this is where, like, the Debbie Downer comes in, but, like, I'm very surprised that he wrote Creed 2 because 
The first Creed was Ryan Coogler's baby. You know that, that yeah. Stallone is not even credited as writing Creed. No, no, he's one. not, dude. He's not. It was I, written I, by Coogler and he's Aaron not. Covington. Yeah, because when I when I met Coogler, he and I were sitting down on a panel together at Comic Con. I think it was like two years ago. Yeah, he and I were chatting for like an hour. We were hanging out. He's a, you know, I got his phone number and we switched numbers, emails, and yeah, I told him. I literally told him besides. I think Skyfall was coming out then, or Spectra. Besides Bond, his movie was the shit that I'm, I was dying to see. And then I was like, you know, how did it come about? He actually wrote the script, like what you were saying right now. He wrote yeah, it. it was his and baby, he, and he, he pitched it to Stallone. He pitched it to Stallone. Yeah, he pitched it to Stallone, and he was shot that Stallone said, yeah, let's do it. And that's you know? what fucking surprises me, though, because he's not really involved with Creed 2. Right now, no. you know, he hasn't been listed as the director. Uh, and it looks unlikely that he'll come back based on reports from last year. Um, and now we've got Stallone basically writing a sequel to Coogler's movie. And like, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I feel strange about it. I feel strange about it. Unless, 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 unless Coogler comes back to direct it. Yeah, that, 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 that would obviously be cool. But it looks like all of a sudden Creed, which was really Coogler's baby, which comes from Stallone's baby. But it looks like it's coming back to being Stallone's little franchise again. And I just see, like, listen, Stallone is the man, and he is, you know, he's he's where Rocky comes from. He's in the DNA of that character. But for me, what's just surprising is, like, what made Creed so exciting was that the fact that it was like it was like a fresh start. You know, we were going to follow Adonis, and, and Rocky was more in the background, and we were going to see a new filmmaker take on the Rocky mythology. But now we're really just seeing Stallone take the reins back and... You know, is it going to be more of the same now? Where now we're going to—he's going to be cranking out Creed sequels the way he used to crank out Rocky sequels. So I just—I you know, don't want to get too negative on it because it is pretty cool that he wrote the script and that Ivan Drago is going to come back. But I just feel like—I can't help but feel like the vision for what Creed was going to be is getting sort of tweaked now. You know, it's no longer Ryan Coogler's baby, and. I just I'm a little anxious about that, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of, I guess we'll we'll have to keep an eye on how all of that unfolds. Well, I guess because you know, wasn't Sylvester Stallone the creator of those characters? Yeah, he is. And Creed, I, of course, Creed and stuff like that. That's yeah. why I guess he's involved. Yeah, you know? I just I just remember feeling like one of the things that made Rocky Balboa so special, the you know the the, the sixth Rocky movie, was it like it seemed like it was Stallone saying goodbye to Rocky and saying yeah. goodbye to that story. He was going to sort of ride off into the sunset, but now if you know, he's back in the saddle again, it kind of almost takes some of what was monumental about Rocky Balboa away a little bit to an extent, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anyway, so that's really kind of it for uh, what I was ready to talk about today. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ask you one final question before I let you go and we bring this podcast, this episode to a close. Were there any like big, like what was like the biggest, if any, disappointment for you from San Diego Comic-Con? Was it what you said earlier about, you know, the, there wasn't a lot of like fresh news, like in terms of castings or whatnot? Uh, that was, yeah, that was one. And then the other one was like, you know, and you and I knew, and I, and I told you this before when I called you where they were saying that, uh, that they were going to have footage and the first look of cable and Deadpool too. Right. Oh yeah. And that didn't happen, but I knew that wasn't going to happen because I, I, between you and I, I told you why I knew. And then the whole thing about, you know, dark Phoenix and that Simon Kimber was not going to miss 
Comic-Con, I knew that he wasn't going. Yep. You know? And I mean, whoever I reported that, that is just some fucking dumb cockroach who doesn't know what he's doing, I guess. <laughs> but no, but I knew that, you know, for a while that they weren't going to show up, even before the reports came out. So, But you I were still expect, holding out it, hope, weren't you? Yeah, I was holding out hope. I was like, you know, I even, you know, text Lionfell, said, yo, dude. And he would, like, kept his mouth shut. He wouldn't say anything. But, um, you know, I really hope that they did, you know, show the first look of Cable. But everybody was disappointed in that uh, that Thursday. It was like the the most boringest day of the whole age stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I gotta I, admit, I, I was expecting some sort of Deadpool presence. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree that, that 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 was a that was a letdown. Um, all right. Well, but look, but look, look. The, the thing with X Men. They can still do it next year because remember that movie doesn't come out till November yeah. of 2018. So expect a lot of X Men stuff probably, you know, Faux next year. Shizzle, Faux shizzle, my nizzle. Um, <laughs> but all right, Kel, I think I've taken up enough of your time. So I think I'm gonna let you fly off into that sunset and and and, and rest your ankle. I know you have surgery coming up. Uh, thank you so much tomorrow. for taking the time tomorrow. <laughs> God damn! All right. So get some rest, my man. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, let me know if uh, you need anything from me these next few days while you're recuperating. Maybe I got to jump on the splash report and work some of my magic. Okay, my man. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. But all right, folks, that's going to do it for this 24th edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Kelvin, for coming on. Um, I may have some YouTube content for you guys later this week to sort of hold out the droughts. So you don't have to wait until next Tuesday for some more uh, uh, El Fanboy goodness. So if you have not yet, go check out the El Fanboy YouTube channel. Um, because I, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm cooking up something that I may be putting up on Thursday or Friday. So, uh, that's it guys. Please, uh, feel free to like, rate, review, share the podcast, tell your friends, tell your friends. El Fanboy is here to stay. And until next week, adios. <laughs>